Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma. And I'm glad you've chosen today to listen to this, our podcast. I hope as you listen to this, you fall more in love with Jesus, and I also hope you fall more in love with His people. Enjoy this podcast today. talking about what it is to follow Christ, what happens when we follow him. Uh, Looking at the past weeks, we found out that when we follow him, we have to count the costs and realize that uh, just to follow Christ doesn't mean everything lines up and gets easy, but there's actually some things that uh, happen in our lives that uh, he he expects of us. And there's a, a lifestyle that follows that, and that's counting the costs to follow him. But with that, there's some things that happen. There's an expanded means uh, things that he provides within our lives. Um, just looking at the example of when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, the two separate accounts, there was an expanded means. God wants to take what's in our hands and do something with it. He doesn't want to wait for us to have something to do the greatness with. He wants to use what we have and do greatness with that, if that makes sense. Um, we've looked at expanded love, and there's something about when he gets upon, he comes upon us that there's a love that we cannot... Uh, that's just beyond our ability that is uh, for us when we follow him. We've looked at um, uh, last week an expanded revelation. We get a greater revelation of who he is and realize that this walk of following him is no longer about our story, but it's about his story. And we looked at when Jesus walked on water uh, last week and realized that uh, one of the accounts in that when Peter, uh, we know, that gets out of the boat and follows Jesus onto the water, uh, John Mark's account when we believe that Peter was actually uh, telling the story and uh, John Mark was just transcribing or writing out what G- uh, Peter was talking about. Peter leaves that whole part out of getting out of the boat. And how many of you, if you're like me, would be like, if I'm the one that walked on water and it was my story to tell, I'd be throwing that in, right? But Peter leaves it out and we get, come to realize that in that story, there was a in that moment, that was the documented time when the disciples truly had a revelation of who Jesus was, that he was God in flesh, and they they were so moved by that that they discovered that it was not about them, it was about him. And when I discover that it's not about me, it's about him, there's oftentimes, there's, there's details about me that need to be left out because I need to edify or lift up and, and uh, bring to light who God is. And this week, in week number five and following, we're going to look at an expanded trust. You see, if we're going to truly follow Christ, we've got to be able to trust him completely. And I'm going to look at a story we've hit on when we looked at counting the cost of following him. Um, But I want to look at Luke 5, if we can, together for just a moment. And then I'm going to give you some observations that I have from that. And hopefully we'll leave here today with a greater understanding of what it is to follow him and maybe empowered to do more in our following of Christ. But let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the revelation that you give us when we follow you. Lord, I thank you that you do expand in our lives in multiple ways and in multiple encounters. Lord, I pray through the word today that it wouldn't be me up here speaking, but it would be the Holy Spirit speaking through through me. That God, that our hearts would be open to receive, our minds would be Uh, clear, and Father, we would be changed by the word, and we would continue to worship you through this time as well, in Jesus' name, amen. So look at Luke chapter 5, and we're just going to look at the first 11 verses in Luke chapter 5, and it says, 
On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, this is Jesus they were pressing in on, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into the boats, which getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a little put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And while he and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is probably uh, where illustrated sermons should be um Understood, it's a biblical precedence for illustrated sermons. Jesus gets in a boat, goes a little out of shore into the water, and he teaches the the crowd that's around, and he says, now let me illustrate what I've taught. Now, we don't know specifically what Jesus taught. I could only imagine it had to do with trusting God or understanding that he will supply all of your needs or something to that aspect. But then he looks at Simon and he says, put your nets out, or uh, Yeah, he says to Simon, put out into the deep. I think I just backed up a little bit. And let your nets out. There it is, for a catch. And Simon looks at him and he says, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So imagine they've been out all night and they've thrown their nets out and brought them in and thrown their nets out and brought them in and they've caught literally nothing. And now... At a simple command, Jesus says, cast your nets out again. And they are bringing in such a haul that their nets are now breaking. It's uh, quite an interesting thing that they must be seeing in the true uh, provision of Jesus Christ in this moment. In verse 7, they signaled to their partners all of a sudden. They're there alone in the boat with Jesus. They're bringing in more. So they call their partners in another boat and they say, come and help us. And they came and they filled their boats also so that they began to sink. This is a lot of fish. Their boats are beginning, beginning to sink. And but when Simon Peeper, Peeper, good grief, my words are flowing so freely out of my mouth. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "Depart from me, for my, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." I think uh, before I can go on, have you ever been so involved in the presence of God, maybe that you feel unworthy to even be standing there? I've found it at times when he's drawing me into his presence and I'm like, God, I don't even feel like I can be here. Do you know what I've thought, what I've done, the things that I've said, how I've treated so-and-so? I I don't think that I can do this. And I want to tell you in this moment that God could care less what you've said, done, how you've treated someone else. He doesn't want that to deter you from entering into his presence. For in his presence, he can right the wrongs. He can make righteous that which is unrighteous. He wants only you. He desires your presence even when you feel so undesirable in that moment. God is calling for you and he's not withholding from you. What an awesome thing. And verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also... These are those that were with him, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. I wonder what to extent, to what extent they would be catching men. Do you think that Jesus would give them this illustration of bringing in so many numbers of fish that their nets were breaking and their boats were sinking and then saying, I want you to not just no longer catch fish, but I want you to catch men 
you think that he would give that kind of an illustration for them to be ineffective in the calling in which God had called them to. Think about what God has called you to. For everyone in this room, everyone that is listening to me on the podcast today, everyone that is watching on Facebook Live has a call of God upon their lives. And he's, I'm telling you today, He is calling you to be effective, not ineffective. He's calling you to have a boat-sinking, net-breaking kind of call that when He has told you to do whatever it is, it will be an impactful thing. Now, not every one of you is called to stand up and preach like I preach. Not every one of you is uh, called into a full-time ministry, maybe like what I am, but every one of us is called to do something for the kingdom of God, for advancing the kingdom of God. And when He calls you to do it, He calls you to succeed in it. Amen? So here they are, and He says, I've called you to catch men. And in verse 11, what a powerful thing it says, and when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything. They left everything. And they followed him. Several years ago, I was uh, working in the secular world. I was a mortgage loan officer. And um, I'd worked about a year at this job, and it had been a rough year. I'd gone almost nine months without taking a paycheck. And finally, the... Bread was coming in. Uh, I had finally decided, not finally, the time had come where I was going to have the opportunity to go on full-time staff at Word of Life in Bentonville. I'd said yes. I was going to, it seemed great. And all of a sudden, I was looking down the face of a $30,000 paycheck. Not from Word of Life, from the bank. I was going to make in one month what most people make in one year. Can you imagine the temptation of what it must have been like in that moment, to say, you know what, why don't I put this off for another six months? Why don't I put this off for another year? I could, why don't I stockpile? Why don't I make this kind of money and then go into full-time ministry with a great savings account? Can you imagine making 30 grand a month? Can you imagine making five grand a month for some of us or whatever, but 30? I'm going to tell you, Uncle Sam got his hands in it, and that 30000 was more like fifteen. But that was a cool paycheck. That was a really cool paycheck. Um, but, you know, we um, had determined that it didn't matter. We were going to follow God's leading, and we left everything to follow Christ. And I'm going to tell you that it's been the best thing, best thing that we could have ever done. And I know what it must have been like for the disciples in that moment to leave the boats full of fish, and I can, I mean, I don't know that they may have ever brought in that kind of a haul, but I I can imagine looking at that thinking, what am I doing? But the scripture here says there was no hesitation. It doesn't say there was no hesitation, but the verbiage here, there was no hesitation whatsoever. They just left everything. Their first encounter with God, with Jesus, they see him They hear him teach. They see him do a miracle. He calls them and they say, you betcha. They just trusted him. They follow him. They leave everything behind. I'm going to tell you that it is nothing like leaving everything behind to follow God's will, God's way, God's calling. So I want to give you some observations as we look at this expanded trust in week number five. 
some observations about following Jesus when we trust. And these may not be that easy to deal with, but they're definitely important to observe and see and watch how God moves in them. And observation number one, when we follow Jesus, following Jesus begins with seeing yourself as a helpless sinner. The nice thing about that is once we see that and we deal with it, then we get to move on. We don't wallow in it. We don't stick with it. The Bible says that when we accept Jesus, we become new. It's like a new slate, a new start. We get a fresh beginning. But we've got to see that we need Jesus. And if we are not sinners, then we do not need Jesus, right? The Bible says that Jesus came for the sinner, for the one that needs salvation. The verbiage he uses, he, a physician is there for the sick, not the healthy. Romans 3, 21 and 24, I believe it is on the overhead. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe, for there is no distinction, and here it is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, every one of us has fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has been, is helpless without Jesus Christ. Every one of us needs the Redeemer. Every one of us needs to be made righteous by Jesus Christ. Every one of us is in a position where we've got to recognize that we need Jesus. Verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift. And that grace is a gift, and it's through the redemption that's only in Christ Jesus. Peter experienced that when Jesus moved and he brought in the catch. What did he do? Well, it says here. See if I can find it again. Verse 8, but Simon Peter saw this and he fell down on his knees saying, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Observation number two. After we discover we're hopeless sinners or recognize it, admit it, deal with it, it means we know that he is God. It doesn't mean that we know about him. It doesn't mean that we've heard that he is God. This is a knowing beyond knowing. This is a, when we know that means we, there's, there's manifestation of that in our lives. That means we submit to him as God. There's got to be some kind of an evidence in our lives that He is God. There's got to be proof. Isaiah 45. He's awake. Verses 4 through 6 says, For the sake of my servant Jacob and for Israel my chosen, I will call you by name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no one besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west. There is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I want to show you something here. This this jumped out yesterday as I was studying this a little bit. We come across a bunch of people day in and day out that don't believe the way we believe. Do you agree with me on that? Does that change who God is? 
Not at all. He is who he is. What I believe, what I think, does not dictate who God is. This right here says, I am the Lord and there is no other. And he was God before I knew him. Verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. And I equipped you, though you did not or you do not know me. He was working in our lives before we ever knew him. We have got to know that he is God. If he is God, he's in control. He's got a better plan. He's got a better vision. He's got better ways, better dreams, better hopes for us. And if we admit, first observation, that we're hopeless sinners and we know that he is God, then we must submit to that and have faith that he will carry out in our lives all, all the good that he has for us. I think maybe that's what the disciples discovered in this moment, in this passage that we've read in the Gospels when they were able to walk away from everything and follow him. My third observation means you have faith. You trust him to provide everything you need. When they followed Jesus, they left their livelihood. They had to trust him completely. They left their comfort. Their boats signified their comfort. Many of them left families and homes. Obviously jobs. Reminds me of the story I read a couple of weeks ago about George Mueller, the uh, missionary uh, the, in, um, that you remember where he just God provided miraculously. The moment whenever he had 300 children to feed and not a drop of, of uh, milk or any food in the pantry and he sat them down, they gave food or uh, gave a blessing or a prayer for the food they did not have. And at the very moment they closed the prayer, somebody showed up with bread. The moment the bread was put out at the table, someone showed up with milk to feed 300 kids just out of nowhere. And that happened time and time again. So I want to set the stage for a moment for God's provision in our lives. And I'm going to talk about money for just a minute. And I I rarely, uh, of course you all wouldn't know it, but I, I, I rarely ever, ever talk about money. As a matter of fact, when we receive an offering, we don't even pass buckets. On the way out the door, I just we just we have buckets in the back. But I want to I want to talk about the importance of money for just a minute and how it shows that we have faith. And this is the setup: James chapter two, uh, verses fourteen through seventeen. It says, "What is what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food?" And one of them says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what I'm going to show you through, uh, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4 here in just a second. What I'm going to show you is there's got to be some kind of an action, some kind of a demonstration to our faith, some kind of an outward expression that shows that we know that Our God is God. Some kind of an outward expression that shows that we have faith. There's got to be some form of an evidence in our lives. 
So look with me, if you can, at Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. This is Paul writing. He's talking to a generous church. Hold on to that word generous for a moment. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived, that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be, how to abound. I know how to lack, and I know how to have abundance, is what he's saying here. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see the, the uh, focus here? He's saying very clearly, it's not you that I need. I've had little, I've had lots. But it's Christ who makes it possible for me to endure all these things. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Christ is my source. Christ is my focus. But it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. There's no one else that when I was birthing or beginning this ministry, there was no other church that entered into partnership with me, except only you guys did. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Even when I was ministering somewhere else and it didn't pertain to you guys, you were still helping out. You were still participating in the ministry that I had is what he's saying. And then, not that I seek the gift. I don't seek what you have to give me but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I don't seek what it is for you giving to me. I don't seek your gift. I seek what it does for you is what he's saying. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we continue on. And I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I want to look at a couple of ideas here within this, kind of some sub points about being a generous people when it comes to having faith in God. First, that scripture, verse 19, my God will supply every need according of yours according to his riches. This is why we can give confidently. This is the tithe. This is going above and beyond the tithe. The tithe is just 10%. It means 10, a tenth, 10% of our income. Going above and beyond that, sometimes we have opportunities when God speaks to us to give even when it goes beyond that tithe. And I want you to know that we live in a time where the tithe is not a command or a demand. It's an honor, a joy, and a privilege. I love this. The, the idea of the tithe going back to the Old Testament is this God demonstrating. It wasn't God saying, you must give me 10% so you'll have less. It was God saying, give me 10% so I can show the world how I can do more with 90%. It was a way of him demonstrating to the world how awesome he was for his people. 
So don't ever think that God is asking us to have less. It's a way for him to to show the world how he can bless us with a smaller percentage. Does that, are you following me with that for a minute? Uh, Looking again, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Uh, Trusting God to provide means we can confidently be generous. There's that word. So how does this look? How does it look to be confidently generous? Confidently generous. What does it look like? Well, let's back up and let's look through this whole story in Philippians for just a minute. In this passage, we, we just read it describes in verse 15 that they participated in earthly growth of the church and advancing the gospel of the kingdom. That's what it looks like. We get to help the, gro- the growth of the church. I don't want that to sound self-serving at all. I, this is an early church. This is an early work. But it is an opportunity. Confident generosity in God means that you can confidently support a work that he's doing. Verse 17, looking at that, now, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. When we have confident generosity, the gift that we, uh, it's not the gift we need, but it's the growth that adds to your life and your spiritual account. That's confident generosity. Verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, that's a great name for your next kid, if there's a next kid. Is that what you're going to name your next, Epaphroditus? Yeah? No, I wasn't pointing to you guys, just so you know. <laughs> uh, this is my child, Epaphroditus. Um, anyway, uh, we understand it's a sacrifice, but God delights in it as a fragrant offering. This is why we understand that when we give financially, it's worship. It's an act of worship. It's an act of loving on our king, and he sees it as a fragrant offering. In verse 19, the the theme scripture within that God, again, supplying every need of yours according to his riches. Abundant spiritual blessing accompanies generous giving. God's supply follows this. It's a given. And the tough question, do you trust God with your finances? I've said it this way, and it sometimes comes across a little harsh or bold, I like to think of it bold, not harsh. When you withhold your tithe, it's like saying, God, I got this. I don't need you. I can handle my finances without you. Isn't that tough? Have you ever thought of it that way? Now, trust, believe me, I'm really trying to come across with love on this because I know, again, going back to 17, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit of the increase to your account or for your credit. So questions to ask yourself about your generosity ties to God's work here. Are you interested in what God is doing? Are you a true pioneer to this work? Are you a part of God's plan to provide for the needs of this work? It's kind of a little sermonette within the sermon. But third observation, again, means you have to have faith and you trust him to provide everything you need. And that's going back to the disciples, just leaving everything. And then the last observation means saying yes to him and no to other things. I said that was my last. I'll have another observation here in just a minute. Saying yes to him and no to other things. What did the disciples say no to when they said yes to Jesus? Comfort. Many times they walked miles upon miles upon miles 
sleeping in the elements, going without. Most of them died horrific deaths because they believed in this message of the gospel of the kingdom. They believed in this man. His name was Jesus. They watched the one they loved die a horrific death. They oftentimes had opportunities to doubt who he was. They were ridiculed, accused, slandered, cussed at, spit upon, stoned, some of them. And I don't mean the kind that happens in this land that we call addiction. Toklahoma. They gave up so much for Jesus. They said yes to him and no to many comforts. But I can assure you in that yes, there was so much satisfaction, so much reward. I remember one day, this was 2003, 2002, 2003. I was working as a chaplain for the Rogers Police Department. And uh, I got a a call out uh, to do a call. There was a... A child couldn't be three years old that had been run over lengthwise by his uncle. Did not survive. It was not a pretty scene, and I was dealing with the family. We'd all gone. They had taken the lifeless body of this child to the hospital. I don't know why, but they had. And the family had all moved from the scene of the accident to... Old St. Mary's and Rogers at the time. And I was driving from there to the hospital to be with the family. And I remember pulling over behind Brahms and uh, just sitting there in my car at a loss of words. Of course, there's no words in that moment that I could have ever said to the family to fix the situation that they were in. Uh, Feeling very inadequate for who and what I was doing. And I sat there in my car and I I don't... To say it was a vivid enough memory to say I had my head buried in my hands or whatever, I don't know that it was that far. But I remember saying to myself, how can I do this? Why am I doing this? I I don't feel equipped. And I I even said to myself, I think I'm doing this as a wannabe. That maybe I want to be a cop and I can't, so I'm riding with them and then taking an occasional chaplain call. And I remember... It wasn't an audible voice, but it was a still small voice from God. And he said very clearly, Jeff, if you don't do this, who will? And in that moment, I became a chaplain. I knew that I was called to be a chaplain in the law enforcement community and to the community that I lived and served in. And when I knock on doors like yesterday to tell a family member that or somebody that they've lost a loved one in a car accident, or uh, make those death notifications, or deal with uh, any kind of tragic situation. I don't enjoy doing that, but I find satisfaction. There's something about serving my community and serving God that comes with doing this. I'm saying yes to something greater and no to some other things. I hope that makes sense in that observation, that when we say yes to Him, We're saying no to other things. We're saying no to comfort. We're saying no to... um, There's all kinds of things that we're saying no to. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But there is nothing. There is nothing in this world like serving our king. 
And then my last observation, and I'll close with this. We must listen. It means we must listen, obey, and do things His way. Listen, obey, and do things His way. John 15, 12 through 14. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's kind of some prophecy in here. He says, you are my friends. He just said, greater love has no one that he would lay his life down for his friends. And you are my friends. And he poses it more as a, if you are my friends. The if isn't there, but he says, you are my friends. I guess it is right here. If you do what I command you. Backing up, what's his commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. So the question in closing in this observation. Are you listening? Are you obeying? And are you doing things his way? Commandment, you love one another as he has loved you. And that goes back to how I've been feeling. And I, I talk about this almost every week. About making a difference in our community. Praying for those that need prayed for. Approaching people. Getting out of our comfort zones. This is a, a, a description of what God has called us to do and be as a church and as a people. Getting out doing those things that are not comfortable. Aren't you glad I preached a message to pump you up and make you feel good about being a follower of Christ? No, I, this, is a, this is a message to make you fall in love with people to make you fall in love with him and realize that if we don't, we have got to trust him. That as a church, we're moving into a time that's going to, it's not an easy time, but it's moving us into a time where we're going to really have to move out and trust him. Trust him in all aspects of our lives, just as I've talked about this morning. And so the closing question today is, are you in with us? Can we do this together? We watch what God has to do for Miami, Oklahoma, for northeastern Oklahoma, even down to Grove. This is the Grove Church that meets in Miami right now. For those of you that don't understand that, everyone that's part of this church, no, Vanessa and I are the only ones that live in Miami. <laughs> it's fun. But we're going to make a difference right here, not tomorrow, right now. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God. I hope what I communicated today made sense. But I hope we are encouraged to follow you, that we don't feel any kind of condemnation, maybe some conviction, but really just a desire to live our lives for you, serving you. Lord, even if what's been talked about seems impossible, Lord, I thank you that God, through you, all things are possible. Lord, I thank you as we've read that you will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. The one who died, the one who made this all possible, the one whom we've lifted up and exalted in this place today, the one we love and we adore, we serve, the one whom we need and we cannot live without.
<laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.